Welcome to Season 3 of Busting Addiction and Its Myths, sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, where we offer a modern approach to recovery, breaking with tradition by introducing new technologies that help disrupt the cycle of addiction. To learn more, visit us at safehouserehab.com and click on the video, or contact us at info at safehouserehab.com and we'll tell you about our $1,000 airfare allowance and referral rewards program. My name is Bruno J, and here's why I created this podcast. Our research has shown that despite the opioid epidemic and the worldwide panic over the ravages of addiction, we didn't see that treatment centers were doing anything different to break the cycle more effectively and improve the odds of long-term success. So we have set out to do things differently and to let all those who love an addict or alcoholic know more about the advances in treatment that we represent. Here's what we're doing differently. We have designed our diagnostics and detox to isolate and treat opioid and multi-addiction, example, alcohol plus opioids plus speed, more effectively given that these are the new challenges of addiction in the 21st century. We integrate leading-edge technology into the recovering process, thereby disrupting the disorder, speeding the recovery of brain health, Clients come to treatment with damaged brains. This is a given. We pay attention to the importance of dopamine and other ingredients vital to brain health recovery. Traditional rehabs don't provide anywhere near the tools and close guidance that clients truly need to help keep them clean and sober for life. We do it right. First, we advise our clients to go into our sober living facility to serve as a transition to normal life and we absolutely outperform traditional rehabs when it comes to providing a structure for long-term recovery. So if you love an addict or alcoholic and you feel like your loved one is sucking the oxygen out of your life, is stealing your money, stealing your peace of mind and your sanity, this podcast is for you. If you're feeling rage and shame and, and he or she is living rent-free in your head 24-7, this podcast is for you. I hope to have you gain a better understanding of the nature of addictive disorder and the invisible effect it has on your psyche. It's my fervent hope you also gain a little more compassion for your loved one and for yourself in spite of this cunning, baffling, and powerful disease. To paraphrase an author in this space, we struggle because we love. Hello, Jay. Uh, my interview with Tim for Season 3, Episode 6. Hi, this is Bruno J. And in this episode, we'll be interviewing uh, my good friend, Tim. And uh, I'd like to introduce him to you now. He's uh, uh, been a stalwart member of uh, the uh, uh, fellowship and uh, is the owner and operator of Promise View, a sober living facility in a great Midwestern city. So say hello, Tim, and, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing today, and then we'll go back to what life was like before. Hi, my name is Tim. Thank you for having me on, Ron. I appreciate it. Um, what I what I'm doing today is, as you had mentioned, uh, I am the owner and uh, uh, I, I run sober a living, a sober living house, Promise View, in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. As far as a a uh, outreach program for uh, those that want a 
firmer foundation in their recovery after they after they go through detox and uh, uh, possible treatment. We also have other guys too that come in and just realize that living with a bunch of uh, others that are trying to accomplish the the day to day sober living. Uh, with each other. It's just helpful to have other people along in the program with sure, you. Sure, sure. And tell me a little bit about how many uh, how many men you have typically when your house is full and what the typical daily routine might be. Let's say uh, pick a middle of the week uh, or pick actually pick Thursday because you have a, I know Thursday's a little bit special for you. life like for you before you sobered up and give us you know how long that was uh for me it was 22 years i've been sober but before that i don't know so many of our stories are are typical i i grew up in a uh good family um had good education, everything going for me, but there was something about, I even remember back to younger days, taking that first drink, and uh, it just did something for me. It, 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 it took away all my insecurities, all my uh, uh, fears, and uh, just... It, turned me into someone that I thought I wanted to be, but as time went on and as years went on, nothing good came from it. Um, relationships were destroyed, work, any ambition I had was, uh, my whole life revolved around alcohol and other drugs. So it definitely took me off uh, the path that I was on for any, anything good to happen to my life, and I finally had, had enough of it, and uh, fortunately had a moment of clarity that took me into uh, a rehab-type situation. It was like a seven-day detox, and after that, I was at an AA meeting 
within two hours of leaving there and got a sponsor at that meeting and have been working with that sponsor ever since. And, you know, slowly but surely, good things started happening in my life and continue to happen. Excellent. What was the moment of, describe the moment of clarity. You know, I had been drinking in my last days and months, uh, of drinking had just gotten so bad that that's all I did. And there was one night that I, I can't even describe it. I just felt very clear in my thought, very uh, clear in my decision-making. And, and at that moment, didn't have the urge to drink uh, I knew I had to get help and uh, made a phone call and scheduled a, a situation that I could go into the next day. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that I didn't stop for a few drinks before I got there, but <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been through a couple of rehabs, and I always thought that if you showed up to rehab sober, that would be scoring good points for you. <laughs> And uh, I learned they really didn't care at all. So, um, you know, I did I did make a stop or two before I went into that rehab. That's a little side story. Yeah. But, uh, I, I kind of said goodbye to all my old friends, all my old drinks, and, and looked at them and said, I'll never drink you again. So, uh, and, and I, I'm stuck to that. Although, you know, I know that each day is precious for me, and at any any given time, if I choose to have that one drink, that old life will come back to me quickly. You said, uh, Tim, that uh, you had more than one try at rehab. Uh, tell us a little bit about that part. Well, a lot of it would have to do with legal troubles, uh, driving while intoxicated. Um, I did get involved with one rehab, but you know what, I was I was only doing it to get my driver's license back. I did not commit to true sobriety. It was just once again jumping through some hoops uh, with the idea that in the end, if I stayed away from alcohol, people would get off my back about my drinking and I could go back to doing that okay. again. Okay. Respond responsibly and normally. Right. So I thought. Right. Um, in the middle of all of this, um, you mentioned that you had significant others, uh, uh, family, parents. I don't know if you were ever married or not. Tell us about the role of your loved ones and how that re how those relationships actually operated while you were drinking and using. What what was what were those relationships like? father was one of the type that he said, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna behave this way, this is my house and, you know, I have my rules. So I I moved out of there um, shortly after I was eighteen years old. And, you know, I probably drove my parents crazy because, you know, then I was living on my own and 
and I could keep that. It was, it was always a well-planned design that I could keep the party life away from them. And, you know, the next thing you just start seeing your family at, on holidays, and sometimes you wouldn't even do that. So there was uh, uh, distancing, as many of us do, you know, or if we, we had some family gathering, well, it was always an effort to, you know, not drink and right. go through whatever event was going on. Um, and then uh, would pick up afterwards. So those visits were always short. Um, I, was a young, I, I was a young parent uh, shortly after that. And it basically was taking care of my son and um, getting his mom through school. And then I worked. I did not go to school myself. But after work, which was the second shift job, that's when I do most of my drinking then. Um, but that's when I was younger. That's when I was 19, 20. Uh -huh. and as so many younger people um, uh, do. It. You're, you're young and your friends are in college and they're drinking too. So you, you think it's normal. And um, hey, I went to work and I, I got paid and I paid bills. And I always thought, well, I will slow my drinking down one day when I get older, which never really happened. Right. So, how old were you when you sobered up? I was 38 years old. Okay. Besides uh, having moments, maybe a month or two uh, here and there, usually following right. some uh, illegal thing I had done. You know, it's it's uh, when you're sitting in jail, you you always come to your senses <laughs> and you're good. You're, you're good for a while, you know. Uh, you pick up where you left off pretty quick, yeah, you know. Yeah. Previous conversations with you, it's, it sounded like you knew, you had some good insights about the uh, concept of codependency. Can you talk about codependency in the context of a family who, otherwise normal, has one alcoholic addict living, living with them? And in, in this case, let's say they're living under, under the same roof. What sorts of things happen in a codependent relationship? Well, unfortunately, uh, you know, out of love, the family members try to deal with uh, the individual or individuals that are, are using, and it almost becomes a norm to them, and until very bad things are happening in their lives, and they try to uh, help and control the uh individual by oh making suggestions of you know not drinking so much or maybe they're finding at this point they're finding them a job or whatever but what they don't realize is that the family itself is is getting sick along with right. the individual that is uh is abusing you know doing the substance abuse whatever their substance might be so we call this a uh, we call this a family disease. Is you've heard that before as well, right? Everybody gets sick. What are some of the manifestations of of this disease showing up in otherwise normal people? How how does that show up? Well, 
Well, you can, you know, anything from if it, if it's a husband and wife situation, you know, the the what well, once the wife is calling the boss to make up excuses if the husband is sick, right? Or parents are making up excuses as to why uh, their son didn't come to Christmas with the family or didn't do this, you know. All of a sudden, they'll find themselves telling those little white lies. Oh, they didn't feel good or they were busy or, you know, things like this. Um, even as far as monetary with some with some legal problems, you know, the parents will end up by bailing the kid out of jail or putting them through expensive rehab programs, you know, doing almost anything, I was going to say, within their power to try to correct the situation. Okay. There, there you go. It's like they really, they're really, what they have to realize is they are powerless over that situation, yes. an yes. individual. Talk about the role of fear, fear and resentment in that in that context. Can you talk about that? Even on a, on a personal note, in fact, I just left an AA meeting that was exactly that that subject matter that we were talking about. Um, in that, at least in my in my personal experience, you know, I was actually afraid to stop drinking. Um, because it seemed like it, it uh, I didn't know how to live a normal life, you know. And as far as the family goes, as far as codependency, my gosh, they live in fear all the time as, as far as their uh, loved one being out there and parents worrying about are they coming home or are they going to die, especially, especially when we're talking about substances like heroin. Yeah, you know, um, I talked to so many uh, wives and parents uh, in, with the sober living situation. We talked to f far many family members that we ever do take guys coming okay. in to live in the house. You told me the story of how bizarre some of these families are. God bless them; they're just sick. We're not judging, but tell the story about you know a uh, couple of situations where. It felt like they just wanted to dump their kid there and, and leave. Is that the, did that happen often enough? Yeah, there, there's these family, the mom and dad have, have just had enough. They've been doing and dealing with this for, for years and years. And they are so affected by the alcoholic or the addict that they really, you know, I talked to them about getting involved with Al-Anon because they need just as much help as the individual that is uh, the victim of the substance abuse. Right. Uh, and a lot of times, the, the misconception of sober living is that, oh, they're just going to go there and, and they almost consider us a babysitting service. Somehow right. We're going to cure the whole situation. And I've, I've had situations where parents have wanted to write uh, a check for six months to a year for their child to stay with us. But actually, we, we do a week-to-week -week bed license 
and um, one of our rules is that we don't refund any money. That's why we only go week to week because I'm not out to gouge people of their hard right. money. But I remember the father that was willing to write a check for six months, and I said, "Well, keep in mind uh, if if Billy over here." doesn't follow some of these rules, he has to leave, and then we keep your money. And the dad just looked at me and said, I'll write you a check for a week. So he he knew the odds of his son from past history yeah. um, following any guidance or rules uh, as simple as making your bed daily or doing your dishes after they're done would be a... Uh, a miracle if this young man would even do that. So, and then they do. They 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 really expect um, us just to that I have a magic wand, you know. And it's recovery is work. It's it's not it's not as bad as living the life using. Uh, as as one person recently said to me, it's a lot easier to stay sober than it is to get sober, get sober. because many, many of us spend years trying to get sober. Uh, I, I can't resist asking you the story of the parents who dumped off little Johnny and went on a cruise. Tell you got to tell that story. It's too good. It's just too good. Um, if, if it's, there's a stories that are that are similar to that that the parents actually the, their child had just caused them so much turmoil for years and years that when they when they finally got them registered into our house they went on a vacation to almost celebrate <laughs> because they now had free time and, and in fact, there was one one set of parents we had a very hard time getting a hold of for months because they were just going everywhere um, without, with, you know, it was, I don't know what I can compare it to in, in our life. I, I guess retirement, you know, that we work our butts off and then in the end we retire and that's when we take a cruise or get a condo or a timeshare or something like that. But they just, they had just been so taxed by their efforts and what they had to do in dealing with them. But see, this is where they need help. This is where, just as the alcoholic yeah. or addict needs yeah. to be around people that suffer from substance abuse, they need to be around people that will understand yeah. them. And the only one that's going to understand them are, is someone that has gone through it before. So we're, we're big fans of Al-Anon and getting um, these family members involved with Al-Anon and even some of their, their younger uh, siblings or the kids getting them involved with Al-Anon. yeah. Uh, you know, what you said is, is important for our audience to hear, particularly the audience who are parents and loved ones of an addict or an alcoholic, and that is, would you agree that many of these parents feel like they're the only ones or they're alone, and then they're surprised that there are many, many people who share the same sort of suffering? It's true, you know, and 
it's almost as as the alcoholic goes into this. He thinks he's the only one with the problem until he starts listening to other people going, wow, that sounds just like me. And on, on the other hand, the parents, they feel very trapped, you know, uh, and, and there's shame that goes along with it, and there's uh, fear of judgment that people will look at them, they're bad parents, um, and yet they find by getting together with other people that have been through this and are further along than they are. Right. You know, um, just, I, I just got a call tonight from a heroin addict who was upset because his parents finally threw him out, you know, and, and the way he, uh, I, I got it in an email and he just was kind of shocked and insulted that they actually asked him to leave. Well, <laughs> this is some of the, the tough love that's needed, but at the same, at the same time, I tell candidates for Al-Anon that you go there and they'll teach you a constructive and positive way right. to love your son or daughter. There you, you go. Know? Because far too many times what we think is helping them is really just adding to the problem. Right. Correct. Um, so what would you say um, uh, on two topics? One is not forgetting about love, right, and compassion. And the other right. is to just to take away the three, let you know, I'll, I'll be arbitrary. Let's see, three basic rules on what to do about your addict or alcoholic son who's living under the same roof with you. He's under your roof still because you do love him, and, and that is that is the the thing that that any good parent is doing. They want the best for our children, but that tends to get clouded as time goes on and the family becomes conditioned to this behavior as being a part of the norm of the family. As far as what they should do is, they should they really need to start taking care of themselves, themselves. when in fact they're usually preoccupied by trying to take care of the addict. You know, um, getting involved with some family counseling, possibly uh, some type of intervention, reaching out to uh, behavioral health professionals to say what we should do. And even on getting back to Al-Anon, you know, that, that's not anything that your insurance is going to charge you or you're going to have to pay costs for. You might as well go and, and learn something. Go to an Al-Anon yeah. meeting, see what that's about and start learning about what is the most productive way to handle the situation. That's, that's, and the first thing, great. everyone thinks it's about getting uh, help for the addict. You've got to get help for yourself first. Uh, Tim, would you, would you say, oh, let me just ask you because I don't really know. You're in a much better position to know this, having worked uh, in the field, if you will, um, or been a part of recovery for quite some time on a more organized and formal basis. Does it surprise you that families who suffer, you know, from this disorder because of an alcoholic or addict in the house, that they have, they let stuff go without really learning anything more? Like, 
reaching out to a professional or going to Al-Anon or going to behavioral health clinic. It sounds to me like they've suffered on their own and they never bothered to, to look for help for years. that is the alcoholic or the addict that they have to change. And um, one of the things that we suggest to a lot of the parents or wives that we talk to is to pick up the book Alcoholics Anonymous and read the first 164 pages. This is just a wealth of information as to understanding why their loved one is doing what they're doing uh, because otherwise it's just like insane behavior. Um, it, it just it just becomes so familiar and normal to them that they don't expect different types of behavior. It's, Can I uh, also use this opportunity to plug a couple of other useful books that I have found? Um, and sure. we, uh, we talked a little bit about the, the one book on a Family's Guide to Intervention, whether it's formal or not, is called Love First by Jeff and Deborah J. J A Y. In that book, uh, Tim, I got a really good education on um, how an alcoholic or addict thinks, right? And one of, one of the great insights was the alcoholic or the addict doesn't think that he is the problem. He thinks you are the problem because you're in the way of him getting high. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier when you're in the in the life and in the trap of addiction. Right. This is one of the things we do. We point fingers. We accuse people. We guilt people. Yep. We start. We start gaslighting them. Yes. And you know, over time, it's it's effective. Yeah, it works. It uh, we, works. We, yeah. we as addicts and alcoholics are, are master manipulators Correct. to defend our egos, to defend our using. Um, it, it's, it's insanity is what it is. The other, the second book, Tim, that I got a lot out of, and I read this um, while I was making my journey into Al-Anon over, you know, a, a loved one at home. I'd been sober about 10 years at this point. But somebody recommended this book by Melody Beatty, B-E-A-T-T-Y, called Codependent No More. The subtitle is How to Stop Controlling Others and Start Taking Care of Yourself. And so that's right on right. the theme that you were talking about as well. Right, because if you're not, you know, like they say on the airplane... Um, just your own oxygen mask before helping others. There you it's go. It's just a, a, a cliche thing that we say in AA and in Al-Anon, but if you're not fit and ready to go, how are you going to help anybody else? Because the addict and the alcoholic are going to do whatever they're going to do. You have no control over them whether they're going to get sober or not, so it's really up to you. The only thing you have control of is getting help for yourself. Perfect. Um, I think we got to wrap it up. Uh, you're chock full of good insight, Tim. I really appreciate you doing this. God bless you then. You know, this is my way of giving back it's and being grateful for the sober, sober life that I'm living today. Beautiful. 
Thanks a lot, Tim. Have a All good right. night. Take care. Take care. So what did we learn from Tim today? Number one is the secret is there is no secret. Everything an addict or alcoholic needs to know has been written and published from 1939 until now. Two, the longer an addict alcoholic stays in a somewhat controlling recovering environment, the greater the chances of long-term success. Three, the family has no idea and will often deny that they are as sick as the addict, that they are as powerless over addiction as is the addict. Four, the family member doesn't realize that she needs to shift the focus from the addict to herself to start the healing process. And five, there is a lot of help available, from Al-Anon to Codependence Anonymous to counselors trained in addiction. AODA stands for Alcohol or Drug Addiction Trained Professionals, and there are many of them available. Thank you for tuning in today. It's my fervent hope we've given you new insight and new hope that will lighten your burden. For our hearts go out to all who suffer the effects of addictive disorder. Please give us your feedback at info at safehouserehab.com. By all means, ask us any question you like, and we'll answer on air, if you will. And if you want to leave us your first name and city, we'll recognize you too, of course. This podcast is sponsored by safehouserehab.com, where we take a modern approach to recovery, something all families of those who suffer deserve. Tune in next week for more.